It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Here we go. Mm hmm. To BP Wrigley Cast, uh, the show that takes really long periods of time off and then comes back at you with a season preview. I'm Ryan Davis. I'm here with Isaac Bennett. Uh, we are excited about baseball season starting up. Uh, you'll notice that we're a bit lighter than we normally are. Uh, Carlos was unable to join us this week, and uh, we're, we're kind of switching things up a little bit. We'll, we'll probably be doing less uh, four people shows and more two or three people shows um, in the future and maybe, maybe some other changes along the way and surprises, but uh, uh, we're still going to be talking about uh, Cubs baseball and that's, what's most important. Isaac, how are you? You know, I'm doing okay, Ryan. Uh, I miss you guys. I'm glad to be back. Um, yeah, it's been a, a long hiatus, but uh, here we are. It's two days until opening day. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be tomorrow. So um, I'm definitely excited for baseball. I need it um, when I get into March and have gone a whole winter without it. Uh, I feel like I'm going through withdrawals or what I imagine that is what withdrawals feel like. So I'm ready to be back. Happy to be here with you, my friend. Absolutely. You know, it's weird after after the postseason coverage uh, going into November and some of the really long days and weeks that I was pulling in in the playoffs doing coverage for BP Wrigleyville when I was still there and and then the athletic doing some postseason stuff for them and fan rag sports I really by the end of it was like I would be so happy just to take next baseball season off you know not even worry about it anymore and you know the Cubs won the World Series so I don't have to think about it it won't be weighing on my mind I could just totally take a year off. And now that we're at the cusp of baseball season, I'm just ready to go. Like, like no other. I'm, I'm just as hungry for baseball as I've ever been. So kind of interesting uh, how that, that mindset has changed. Yeah. And I think, you know, Cubs fans didn't really know how they would feel coming in. And I didn't, I, I, I share that sentiment. I wondered if there'd be a letdown or if I would look forward to the season less, but, uh, I think the taste of success actually left me uh, more hungry for it. You know, the food hit my stomach and I needed more. Um, but I think that last season was taxing. I mean, I, I felt taxed from it. Uh, so I certainly share oh. sort of your sentiment in saying, um, you know, you wondered if uh, if you would feel like you needed a break or a season off, but I think the off season was just about the appropriate length of time to sort of recover and digest what had actually gone on last October, November. So um, I feel like it's fully digested and uh, it's time for some more baseball. I agree with you there. Uh, all right. So the first thing that uh, I wrote down for us to talk about is uh, we're rolling into the season. It looks like pretty much everything's set. They have their roster set. They played their last game today, which was Friday. And they, they finished that out with no injuries. 
um i guess brian dunsing's going to the dl but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah who, who cares um yeah the most important thing is, is no injuries and we can kind of predict uh, what the opening day lineup looks like. There's ki- been kind of recently a uh, will Albert Almora be in there? Will John Jay be in there? But that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's kind of a, you know, kind of a crappy, you know, what if scenario that's that like really who cares, but um, either, either way, they, they haven't left us a ton of stuff to debate. So my question for you is, what are you most interested in seeing with the uh, first part of the season with the Cubs? I think I'm interested in seeing what Joe Madden really feels about Albert Almora. Um, I think we know that Theo Epstein loves Almora like his own child, probably nearly as much as I love Addison Russell. Uh, But I am very encouraged by some of the swing changes that I see that Almora is exhibiting at the plate and obviously his defense is always phenomenal. So what I'm interested in seeing is, is, is Joe Madden seeing this the same way we are? Um, I have a feeling that he is. And even with what Jesse Rogers tweeted out today to say that he thought that uh, Al Mora was going to get the opening day start. If you think about that in context, you're talking about Al Mora facing one of the best right-handed pitchers in baseball and Carlos Martinez and uh, sort of foregoing John Jay, a left-hander, against Martinez and someone who Mar- uh, you know Jay is very familiar with. So to right. me, that speaks very, very highly of Madden's confidence in Almora. And I just see a hitter with phenomenal bat-to-ball ability. Um, and if, he, if his power surges for real that we're seeing this spring and we saw a little bit towards the end of the last year, I really still think people are underestimating how good this kid could be. So I think that's what I'm looking for uh, is most intriguing to me early in the season. You know, I haven't been able to study Almora's swing this spring, but something that I've noticed is uh, he's much more direct to the ball. There's Last year there was a little bit of loop in his swing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he had a little bit of hitch. He, he started his hands quite a bit higher and he pulled them back. His hands are, are quite a bit lower this year beneath his chin. Uh, I think it was Brendan Miller wrote a really nice piece. I had pointed out earlier in the offseason that I thought his balance looked a lot better on his follow-through, even though he was swinging harder. Uh, And then Brendan really nicely rounded that out by pointing out why that was. So if if any of the listeners haven't read that piece on Cubs Insider, you need to go pick it up now. I think it was Brendan, and I apologize if it was one of the other guys there. I, I think I think you're right, but uh, also apologies if I missed, if I'm screwed up who that was. But uh, yeah, I mean I, I, I'm I'm a total hashtag not a scout when I watch players, and I'm that's something I'm I'm trying to work on is become more of a scout. But um, yeah, like uh, when I watched him this spring, and maybe it's because I've been trying to pay better attention. But when I when I watch that swing, especially on a couple of his home runs, I go, man, I just did not realize that Addis or that the Albert Almora's bat is as quick as it is. I mean, I, I knew, I knew he had a pretty quick bat, but it, it's just looked maybe, maybe it's quicker or may, maybe because of the changes that he's made, it, it looks quicker to, to the naked eye, or maybe that's just my perception. But um, a couple of those that he's gotten around on, I mean, they've just been destroyed. The one he hit out in Las Vegas is, is first to mind. He, he just got around on it so fast and then, you know, launched it out of the park. Yeah, and you know, uh, the first time I talked to him last year was uh, in early April, like the second week of April. And uh, my first impression was, uh, 
you know, he looks like a good athlete, but he's not very big, was my very first impression. And then when we talked to him together, was that in June? Uh, do you recall? Uh, I think I think that was July. July. Uh, I thought, you know, he looks bigger than when I saw him before. He looks like he's put on some weight. But the guy I'm seeing in the plate right now does not resemble the guy we talked to last year. He has to be 15 pounds heavier. Um, total guess, well, 10 to 15 pounds. But he just looks so much bigger in there. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will will relate to this. He had just gotten married and had a child, right? <laughs> yes, he had. He had. So th- that could explain it. Yeah, maybe so. Um, it just, I, I just think he, this sounds a little strange, but he looks like a grown man now. Right. No, I, I know what you mean. Um, I hear you taping at me. Uh, um, so I guess. Um, more on that topic the thing that i'm looking at uh that i want to see is i want to see how madden handles the team differently on a day-to-day basis uh i think Mm. that you know this is the first season that we'll see him without the comfort of dexter fowler uh in in the leadoff role um the the schwarber experiment is a little bit you know out there and i mean you know the last time in in a real baseball game we saw Schwarber leading off an inning with Bryant behind him and Rizzo behind him and then Zobers behind him it worked out just fine for for the Cubs but I'm interested in seeing how Madden adapts with this team it's just a little different than he's had you know Schwarber is not your classic leadoff guy if you were looking more for a classic just straight on base guy to to get on ahead of the big sluggers you'd be putting Zobrist or or maybe even Hayward up at the top of the order and then he's going back to you know pitcher batting eighth and and he's probably going to put Almora or John Jay in, in ninth and how does he balance the Almora and Jay playing time like we were just talking about and I think there's just a lot here. Uh, he's starting out with uh, only seven bullpen, which is pretty normal for most teams, but less than you would expect that the, the Cubs would do. Uh, I, I'm just really interested in seeing how they handle this team differently. And the bullpen, you know, he, he he has a deeper bullpen than I can remember the Cubs beginning a season with uh, maybe in my lifetime. I can't remember the last time they had had so many pitchers that, could be a legitimate eighth inning setup guy. So I'm, I'm interested to see how Madden handles this team a little bit differently this year. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Or do you think it'll, it'll just be same old, same old? Well, I think last year they went into the season with a roster that was really intricately designed to do a specific thing. And that was to limit their starting pitchers innings by utilizing super utility pitchers. And um, we saw that not play out, not only not play out, but almost comically not play out as guys early in the season were going seven, eight, nine innings. You know, so um, I feel like it's actually a little bit more of a traditional roster this year where you've got with Dunsing in the, on the DL, you've got seven relievers, five bench players. Uh, the only thing that's non-traditional about it maybe is that they're leading off babe freaking Ruth, you know, so <laughs> it's like um, – you know, here's a very here's a very normal roster, at least from a quantity standpoint. And then you've got six guys who could hit 30 home runs. And who do you lead off? Uh, you know what? Let's lead off the big lefties. So, um, I, I am I'm always interested to see what Joe Madden is going to do. I'm immediately ready to scream at him for everything that I hate that he does. Um, I love the guy. I hate his game management, as you all well know. 
Um, but look, six guys on this team hit 34 home runs and 369 at bats in spring training. So um, the power that this team has is nearly unprecedented. So it almost doesn't matter what Joe Madden does with the lineup. There's so many guys that can hit. I mean, even if you look at, uh, you know, Tommy LaStella, who's like the 11th or 12th guy offensively for this team, that is an above average major league hitter. And people tend to forget that. They tend to dislike him for the little thing that happened last year. Uh, so be it. I like Tommy LaStella, and he's an above-average major league hitter, and he's barely going to see the light of day on this team. So it is an absolute smorgasbord of, of options, of potluck options for, for Joe Madden, and I think he's going to have a ball uh, managing this team. The interesting thing about LaStella to me and this tells you a lot about the Cubs' depth versus um, another team we're probably going to talk about in a little bit, which is the Cardinals. Uh, which which is a better player right now? Which who would you rather have as your everyday starting second baseman? Tommy LaStella, who is your last man on the bench with the Cubs, or Colton Wong? And I, uh, I think it's a, a slam dunk you'd rather have LaStella out there every day. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that would have a major freak out because Wong was the guy that was the the major, uh, you know, the major prospect. prospect. And he, yeah. yeah, he had a big pedigree and all these things, but he had, it hasn't played on the field. I actually, you know, I tweeted this the other day too. Colton Wong's career OPS plus, and we're not talking a year or two now. We're talking three and a half years that he's been in the league. His career OPS plus is 85. You know, so he's been about 15% worse than average. And Tommy Lestellas is above 100. It was 105 last year. I think it was 100 in his rookie year. So, um, you know what? One of the guys is hitting and the other one isn't. Uh, I guess if offered straight up, I'd probably take Colton Wong. But I I have more faith in Lestellas. in Lestellas yeah, that. Yeah, that's on potential. That's right? on potential, yeah. And, and and I'll I'll be the first to admit I I've always liked Colton Wong I always thought this is a guy who's going to be, you know when when I was watching him play in in the World Series getting picked off at first base, uh in 2013 I was telling people well you know calm down Cardinals fans that's going to be one of your top three best second basemen in the National League in in three or four years it hasn't played out that way now you could say that's part Colton Wong's fault, but, uh, you know, you can also place some, some fault other places considering his, you know, not regular playing time, but, you know, Lestella hasn't had regular playing time either. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. I, I do think it's an interesting conversation and it really just, the fact that we even, even if you do end up taking Colton Wong, uh, based on, on the fact that he has much higher potential. And if you, if you took him in a vacuum and played him every day at second base, you would probably think, okay, so this guy will end up being a player. Even forgetting all that, the fact that we have to have that debate about the Cubs' last man on the roster, uh, a complete afterthought um, versus you know the Cardinals' big-time prospect second baseman, that tells you a lot about where they are talent-wise and depth-wise at this point. Well, you know, and not only that, and, and some people might point to what LaStella did last year, which I personally have uh, not all that much problem with because I know that there was way more going on than, than meets the eye. But um, e- even if you look at what he did, Colton Wong came out recently and said some things that if I was the manager of that team, I wouldn't be excited about at all. Talking about no. wanting to play somewhere else if he wasn't the starter. Yo, bro, you you OPS 682 last year. You slugged, you slugged 355. Um, 
you get to be a starter <laughs> when you start hitting the ball with some authority. You know, it's it's right. It's pretty bad. And, uh, you know, yeah. A lot of Cardinals fans I know would argue and say, "Well, actually, no, he doesn't, because anytime he does get something going, Matheny puts him on the bench." Uh, and that's a that's a big complaint I've heard from them is that it's not consistent playing time for him. It's an over over analyzing playing the matchups kind of okay so if Colton Wong goes three for four with a double and a home run he doesn't start the next day because it's a left-handed pitcher or or whatever the reason is that he just can't get that consistent playing time to keep something going which you know you can point to the manager and say that he's not doing the player any favors so I do understand both sides of it where you know it's you know maybe his numbers don't look great but maybe in a different situation he he would be better and and you know the things that you're pointing out that he said that's the kind of thing that yeah if I were the manager I'd be pretty pissed too but you know maybe he's just been pushed to a point where he really feel feels like he could actually be productive with regular playing time somewhere else see and and, um I hear that argument, but if somebody has that argument it's Tommy Lestella not Colton Wong. Colton Wong got 613 613 plate appearances in 2015 and what did he do he had a 386 slugging so if you're Mike Matheny and you're going okay I've got a below average major league hitter here and I've got a lot of other good hitters on this team who do I find to sit next year it's probably the guy that just slugged 386 you know and he had a a huge chance in 2015 in his age 24 season and he didn't do a lot with it he was an okay player he didn't do a lot with it Lestella has not had as many as 200 at bats since 2014, you know, so really the only year was his rookie year that he got a glut of at bats and he had 360. But last year, uh, you know, he had 169 plate appearances. So he was strictly a pinch hitter and he had an on base of 357. He had a really, really healthy offensive season. And that was with, you know, basically getting one plate appearance a day. Right. Um, so I guess this is kind of naturally moving us into the next piece. And that is who is the Cubs most uh, realistic challenger in the NL central. We, we talked about doing um, predicting divisions and wild cards and awards, which is something we're going to do. But um, I think we'd be, we tried to, uh, you know, tease who we think is going to win the NL central. We both think the Cubs are going to win the NL central. And uh, I think I can speak for you and say, neither of us really thinks it's going to be too particularly close. Um, So with that in mind, is there a realistic challenger for the Cubs and uh, who is that team? Not really. Um, I don't think that there is a realistic challenger. And I think the second best team is the Cardinals, at least as presently constituted. I will say that I think that their starting pitching is absolute garbage. Um, yeah. I'm sure they're all nice guys, but somebody was talking today about how it's still a solid rotation and all these things. And they named off the top five. And uh, I think it's one deep, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe Lance right. comes back from injury and pitches well, but we have no idea if he's going to pitch well. Um, maybe Wainwright finds some 39 year old magic. I think he's 36, but he seems older than that. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Michael Waka decides that he's good. I, look, it's Carlos Martinez and then, and then a bunch of guys. So um, as presently constituted, the Cardinals offense is still good and they are going to score some runs and they are going to uh, win some games. But if there was a team that 
really surprised everybody and really, really made a run at the Cubs. I actually expect it to be the Pirates. I can see Garrett Cole and Jamison Talon and maybe Tyler Glasnow and um, the rest of that group um, really taking a step forward and anchoring that rotation. And then, you know, their, their outfield is, is phenomenal. So if, if a team was to really make a run and win 95 games and compete with the Cubs, I would actually say it was the Pirates. Yeah, that's what I had prepared uh, as well. And, and the way I was going to say it was, I think the Cardinals have a, a probably a better chance of finishing in second place um, because I think they're, like if we said their range, I would say the, the Cardinals range is probably 80 to 86 games. The Pirates have a larger range. And by that, I mean, I could see them winning anywhere from 75 to 95 games. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think yeah, that's there's a lot of questions there. So I think the Cardinals have a, a better chance of finishing in second, but I do think that the, the Pirates have more potential. So that's who I had as the most realistic challenger. I don't think the Cardinals can get to a point where they're actually challenging the Cubs this season. I do think the Pirates, if, if things break right, they have the best defensive outfield in Major League Baseball. Well, now that McCutcheon's in right field anyway. Um, they have uh, some pretty good young players. I really like Starling Marte. I like Gregory Polanco. Um, I think Josh Bell is going to be a good player. Uh, I like Josh Harrison um, when he's playing a, a full season and healthy. And that starting rotation you talked about, Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyone, uh, Tyler Glasnow. I mean, that's that's real top three potential. I mean, that's a that's a solid one, two, three playoff rotation right there. You're just those guys. you're just saying this because you hang out with Jung Ho Gong on the weekends, don't you? Oh my God! We had to go there. <laughs> wow, what a train wreck! So inappropriate. Um, yeah, you know that. I think you said it really well, though. That their their range of outcomes is a lot, a lot uh, larger than the Cardinals is. Um, I, I can just see them putting it all together and and doing it really well. But I've had a soft spot for the Pirates for a long time. So who really knows what will happen? Yeah. There? I mean, I mean, as a fan, that's a team that I don't mind seeing compete and and do well, um, just because you know it's a small market and they, for so long, weren't able to put anything together, and then they finally got good management in there and uh, made the playoffs several years in a row, and um, they got screwed over by the wild card system. They <laughs> so badly screwed over, uh, winning ninety eight games with the second best record in baseball and getting one playoff game. No. Oh horrible so yeah i i'd be i'd i'd actually like it i would like to see a cubs pirates nlds or nlcs i think that would be uh if the pirates can can put some things together and and grab a wild card uh which uh which i do have in my predictions sneak attack there and let you know that Uh, (laughs) i i think that would be pretty cool i think that would be a fun uh rival kind of some quasi rivalry playoff series hey while we're on the on the topic of the uh cardinals what do you think about the alleged Yadi Molina extension? Uh, I wrote about this actually at FanRag Sports, uh, and it went up, uh, I think, earlier today. And I actually made a, a pretty good case, and, a, and I'll probably dumb it down for you in a really short period here, but uh, I think it was the right thing to do, even though it was a massive overpay. And I made, I, I brought up three examples. Um, one was Ryan Howard. One was A-Rod and one was Joe Maurer. And uh, 
in each of those situations, those teams, when they signed those players to those contracts, were in a position where it was right at the time. But then they ended up having to pay later on big money for a player in massive decline. And this is kind of where they are with with Yadier Molina, right? You know, he's he's still a a viable player. He was like a two, I want to say like a 2.7 or 2.9 war player last year, which is good. Uh, He put up decent offensive numbers. um, And, you know, you're paying him for age 36, 37, 38 with this contract. Um, So I think it was the right thing to do. They massively overpaid. They paid him. Um, if he, if he makes all the money on the deal, which is three years, 65 million at the top, uh, they're paying him almost exactly what, um, Buster Posey is making, uh, over the next couple of years as the highest paid catcher in the game. So you're essentially paying Molina as the highest paid catcher in the game, which he at this point is not the best catcher in the game. So I, I get the arguments on both side of sides of it. It's not financially prudent, but Um, The argument I make in my article is two things. One, this is a franchise icon. The fans love him. He, whether you believe in all the over the top intangibles of all the, oh, Yachty makes pitchers better and and all this other, you know, kind of nonsensical things, uh, whether you believe it all, whether you believe it all or not, he is a fantastic mentor. Uh, Young players in that organization, not just at the major league level, but in the, in the low minors, Talk about the experience that they have with him um, in spring training uh, in Florida and talking to him and just picking his brain. Uh, I talked to Magnarius Sierra last year and Peoria, for example. He was a 19-year-old kid, talked about going to uh, spring training and talking to Yachty or Molina and, and some of the suggestions that he made for him. I mean, this is a, this is a, a player who is, is what the Cardinals are and you know, not only are they do they need to keep him around in the franchise, they need after he retires, they need to keep him on in an official capacity to, to bring along that next youth, uh, that youthful wave. So, uh, what did they over? What did they really overpay for? Did they overpay for production, or did they overpay for all of that? And that's what I think they paid for. Second thing that they needed is a PR win. And their fans were not going to be very happy with this team if they let Yachty or Molina leave. After watching Pujols walk out, after watching the decline of the team overall, and watching the Cubs beat them in the NLDS, and then the Cubs win the World Series, if they watched Yachty or Molina leave as a free agent after this season, there's going to be a big PR hit. And I think those are the main important reasons why this was a good deal. Those are all good points. And in a vacuum, I agree with that. I think that signing a guy like Yadier Molina to call it a $60 million contract, we don't know the actual terms yet, uh, makes some sense because he is a bit of a legacy player and they didn't bring back Pujols, who was definitely a legacy player. And um, I'm going to generalize here and it's probably not entirely fair, but I've never met a fan base that valued their individual players and the stats of those players more than Cardinals fans do uh, as compared to the quality of their team. Uh, I can recall a year when Albert Pujols had his 100 year 100 RBI streak going. I think it was eight or nine consecutive seasons at the time, and they got eliminated on the second to last day of the season or something, maybe even the last day. And Pujols got his 100th RBI, and one of the fans I said, "Oh yeah, tough game. I got eliminated." He goes, "Oh yeah, but Pujols got his 100th RBI," and I was like, "So?" They're like, "But the streak." And I'm like, "Okay." So it's one example, but. Uh, 
I think you're right in that the fan base would have probably had a conniption fit had they not signed him. But it just strikes me as interesting because the direction of this franchise is now looking uh, shockingly like a Cubs franchise and the Cubs are looking shockingly like the Cardinals because you've got a guy in Jake Arrieta who became a bit of an occult hero in Chicago and it's becoming pretty evident that the Cubs are not going to sign him. He's 31 years old. He's pretty much at the top of his game and, um, you know, in an area of need. But the Cubs are looking at it prudently and saying, look, we're going to be paying for past performance and not for future value. And the Cardinals arguably have now twice this year paid for past performance and or legacy in Yadier Molina and Dexter Fowler rather than for future performance. And both contracts seem relatively reasonable on the surface until you think about the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals just shelled out $150 million to two players that are uh, in their 30s and over their 30s and late 30s even with these contracts. So um, all the way back at the beginning of the offseason, I started my thesis and said the Cardinals need to rebuild. Too much on the Cardinals. <laughs> we're, we're talking too much uh, other stuff. Let's get into predicting the divisions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, American League first. Uh, I have the Boston Red Sox in the American League East. Who do you have? I've got the Red Sox. Uh, It's going to be a really interesting division. I think all five teams are at least interesting. Um, Even if you look at the Rays, they had a terrible record last year. They went 68 and 94. So they were 26 games below 500. Um, Their run differential is only negative 41. So their Pythagorean record was way better than that. I don't know off the top of my head, but um, even the Rays at the bottom of the division are really interesting. I love all their young pitching. Um, The Yankees are young. Uh, They're going to be fun. The Blue Jays are probably much better than their record uh, belied last year. The Orioles always seem to win more games than they deserve. So I like the Red Sox. I think they're probably the best team in the, in the American League. Uh, but it'll be fun. Uh, I have Red Sox number one. I have Blue Jays number two. Um, I put the Yankees number three, the Rays four, and the Orioles, a playoff team from last year. I put them in last place. I think this is a good division top to bottom. I think the Yankees are going to win more games than some people expect. Um, And I think the Orioles finish around 500, but in last place, which is kind of amazing. Who who are the Orioles running out for their opening day starter? I feel like they've run a complete bum out there like six years in a row, and yet always seem to manage to make the playoffs. I don't know who their official opening day starter oh, is, but I know is they're... No, it's not Feldman. He's, who? Uh, it's, um, no, no, he's with the Reds. Yeah, he's, um, he's the opening day starter for the Reds, right? That was the joke I made the other it's, day. Yeah, it's uh, it's Gosman, uh, Bundy, and Ubaldo are the top three, and Chris Tillman's on the DL. Yeah, so, so that's a young starting pitching staff for a top two. It, it'd be really interesting to see if those two guys can take a, a step up and, and keep them competitive. Uh, so, All right, so AL Central. Uh, I've got the Indians number one. Do you have yeah. anything different? No, no. by a landslide. Uh, uh, number two, Tigers. Same? Uh, you know, I haven't gotten that deep on it. I would actually say that the Royals might rebound and, and come in second in that division. I think uh, losing tragically uh, Ventura, that's gonna that's gonna be tough for them. Um, 
Danny Duffy is a very good pitcher, but he's he's now your de facto ace, and there's not a ton behind him. Uh, Jason Hamill is your number two or number three. So I don't know. Uh, they also traded Wade Davis, who it was very important for them the last couple of years. Uh, they no longer have Holland or Davis in that pen, which is, was, you know, a big part of their success from 2015 or 2014, 2015. Uh, so I'm not a huge believer in the Royals, but they could get bounce back seasons from Moustakis or um, Lorenzo Cain or Aaron Gordon. So you could be right on that. Uh, yeah. After the, I have the Royals three, the, the Twins four, and the White Sox in last place. Yeah, I just think the Royals had a pretty rough go of it last year. They had a bit of a uh, World Series hangover, I think. So um, I, I'd say the Tigers and the Royals will be fairly similar. Um, but you're probably right on that. Uh, AL West, I went with a surprise. I have the Seattle Mariners winning that division. Yeah, you know, I really want to get behind the Astros because they're, they're – their four players are just so phenomenal. Altuve, Correa, Bregman, and Springer. And it's it's so fun, and they're one of my favorite teams to watch and listen to. But, man, I just don't know. I don't know about their pitching staff. Everybody's telling me that uh, Keuchel's going to come back and that McCullers is, is going to be the AL Cy Young and all these things. But I, I'm having trouble buying it. I just I, I watch McCullers' right. stuff come and go. I watch him not be able to locate his curveball. Keiko was a disaster last year. He was a complete shell of himself. So I'm not sure I'm buying that pitching staff yet. Um, yeah. I like your, I like your for, pick of the Mariners. Yeah. For, for a team that was what an 86 win team two years ago, and then an 84 win team last year, the, the Astros have a lot of people loving on them when they really haven't made any big changes. I mean, they, they brought in Josh Reddick, and did Brian McCann get dealt to the Astros? Is he their catcher now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are good additions, but the rest of the ALS got, got better too. The Mariners uh, made a ton of changes. I like their rotation uh, with Felix Hernandez and, um, you know, Iwakuma and I, I like Paxton. Yeah, I, I like Mariners have going on. They added Gene Segura, who is like a five-win player at shortstop. He may not repeat that, but you know it, it's a good player. Um, I see the Mariners as possibly winning ninety to ninety-three games. Uh, I put the Astros second, and the Rangers third, A's fourth, and Angels last. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really good race between the Rangers, Mariners, and Astros. Um, I mean, the Rangers, the Rangers were the opposite of the uh, of the Rays last year because they were only a plus eight in differential, but they were uh, almost thirty games over five hundred, twenty eight games over five hundred. I think so. Right. Um, it they should be a ninety five win team that that should have finished five hundred. Basically, yeah. So I think it'll be a great race between the three of them. I know Matthew Trubel is really high in the Angels, and uh, you know, there's a a plausible explanation to say that um, they could be competitive, but I think their starting pitching is terrible. So I don't, yeah, I don't think they're going to be uh, there. I, I, I think the angels are a dumpster fire. Mike Trout's great. Other than that, it, it's, you know, there were some nice players, but you know, uh, I just don't see them improving on last year. No. Uh, NL East. Uh, no surprises here. I have the Nats number one. Who do you have? I do too. And I actually, I think the Nats are the second best team in the national league. Um, so I think they're by far the best team in the East. The Mets are going to be competitive, but 
Um, I just don't trust their pitching to stay healthy for a full season. So Nats for me, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've got uh, this division is probably the most top heavy in, in all of baseball. Nats number one, Mets number two. And then you can really go any order for the final three and it doesn't really matter because there's there's just a huge gap. I think the Mets uh, in second place are in, you know, 88, 89 team and then Braves, Phillies, Marlins are all 75 and under. So I had I have Braves three for what it were, what it, for what it matters and then Phillies four and Marlins five. Yeah, I think the Phillies can maybe actually be a little bit better than that. I think they could maybe surprise and approach 80 wins, but I still don't expect them to compete for the division. Um, it's not a very good division. Even the Mets, I think, have some serious issues. They only scored 671 runs last year, so um, excellent pitching, which will keep them in the division at least probably through the summer. Uh, but uh, I just don't, I just don't buy their offense. Honestly, the offense in that whole division is just bad. <laughs> yeah. So I think the Nationals will have a, a rebound year. They won 95 games last year, and Bryce Harper was, you know, human, and Anthony Rendon was hurt and not all that great. I mean, really, Daniel Murphy is the guy that saved them, and then Trey Turner was great the second half of the year. But uh, a full year from Trey Turner, a rebound from from Rendon and Bryce Harper, and uh, I think that team is quite the juggernaut. Yeah, and don't forget they brought in Matt Wieters and Adam Eaton. Yeah, Weeders to me is still a downgrade from Wilson Ramos. I thought that was a big loss, but um, you know, obviously Adam Eaton's a big, a big addition. All right, NL Central. We both have the Cubs number one. I officially did put the Pirates number two, Cardinals three, Brewers four, Reds five. Do you disagree with any of that? No, I'll go with that as well. I, I think your thesis is perfect in saying that the Cardinals have a better chance to finish second. But if one team is going to contend with the Cubs, it's going to be the Pirates. Yeah. Uh, NL West, uh, I went Dodgers 1, Giants 2, Rockies 3, D-backs 4, and your worst team in Major League Baseball, the San Diego Padres, in last place. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, no argument there. Um, who do you have as your two wild cards in the AL? In the AL, I would go with Toronto for one wild card, and I would go with, yeah, honestly, it's tempting to take another American League East team, but um, I would say Houston and Seattle are going to come out of the West in some order, one or two. So I would say Boston, Toronto, Cleveland, Houston, and Seattle are the five playoff teams there. You kind of cut out for a second, but I, I think I heard you say Blue Jays, Red Sox, Indians, Mariners, Astros. Correct. That is my five as well. Is it really? Yeah, I have Blue Jays and Astros uh, as my AL wild cards. And if anybody is is questioning how I'm so certain about this, I actually uh, tweeted a screenshot of a, of the spreadsheet I created earlier today on my Twitter account. So I'm just reading off that. So yeah, I'm I'm not just agreeing with Isaac here. I, I actually have uh, have this documented that I'm I'm reading. I think everybody um, understands that we do our best to disagree rather than agree. So yeah. <laughs> yes, we try to agree about everything we can. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my NL wild cards. I have the Pirates and the Giants. Uh, I think that's who I would take as well. Um, the Mets are going to be right there. But uh, the one big thing that the Mets have going for them is they get to play the Marlins, Phillies, and Braves about 58 times between them. So that's a huge leg up because the Pirates division is way better. They're going to have a, a tougher road to get there. But the Giants, I would definitely say, are a wild card team. And then um, I think it'll be – 
total dogfight between the Mets, Cardinals, and Pirates for that second one. So I'll say the Giants. Uh, I'll say the Giants and the Mets, just because I think the Mets' road's a lot easier. Yeah, I, I kind of labored over that. Uh, and then, like I said, I think the Mets are an 88 or 89 win team. I think, I think you have some 90 win teams in the NL this year. I, I don't think the Cubs win 103. Um, they're going to win a little bit less than that. I think the Dodgers and the Nats finish somewhere around 90 wins. I think you'll have, um, at least in the NL West and the NL East, I think you'll have some actual divisional races. But um, yeah, I think the Mets 88, 89 wins. I, I think the Pirates 88, 89 wins somewhere around there. And then same for the Giants, low, low 90s probably. Uh, so those are those are my picks. So then who, who do you have in the in the ALCS and the NLCS? Who do you see advancing? Um, I put down that the Astros win the wild card game, uh, as do the Pirates. I think they'll get some revenge on Madison Bumgarner. Um, and then I have Cubs over Pirates and um, Dodgers over Nationals in the NL. And then I have Boston... Uh, beating Houston and Cleveland beating the Mariners in the division series. So my my championship series is uh, Indians versus the Red Sox and Dodgers and Cubs. I'm the same in the AL. I think it's Boston and Cleveland. I think they're clear uh, cut above everybody else. Um, but I'll differ in the National League. I think the Nationals are better than anybody gives them credit for. That's a team that had a 151 uh, plus minus last year. Like you said, they added Adam Eaton. Uh, I think their pitching staff is healthier this year. Bryce Harper's another year older. So I think really what they did last year was pretty remarkable considering everything that they went through. Uh, so I, I, I like the Cubs and the Nationals and the NLCS. If, if I were to say that same statement about a team, I would say it's pretty remarkable what the Dodgers did last year considering everything they went through. Also true. I mean, also true. I, I just, I, I really mean more in the regular season than anything. Cause that's a 95. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's definitely, yeah, I mean, the, the Dodgers won 91 games and they had, um, you know, what 17 starts from Kershaw. Um, Rich Hill started six games for them after they acquired him. Um, they, they just were destroyed with injuries. I mean, they were, they were putting anything out there that they absolutely could to, to win games. I mean, uh, imagine if, uh, if the Cubs had major injuries to two or three of their stop, their, their, their top starting pitchers, I mean, what would have happened to them? So, you know, maybe they probably still win 90, 91 games, but I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's a testament to just how good the Dodgers were. I mean, they were up two to one on the Cubs. Obviously the Cubs are the better team and they came back and won, but yeah, that was a really good team. They they absolutely could have won the World Series last year. Yeah, they were, and I think everything you said is true. Um, it's true of both teams, I think. But um, there's just something about that Dodgers team that strikes me as a team that's never going to get over the hump. And not quite sure what it is. It's something about their, their offense that I've just mm-hmm. never really been able to buy. Um, I can definitely look at the Nationals' top-to-bottom offense and say – wow, they could be a juggernaut. Um, I think the one area that the Dodgers have over the Nationals is they have a lot more depth, both offensively and in their, and in their pitching, they have more depth than the Nationals do. But uh, if both teams have relative health this year, I think the Nationals are a better team. Well, I, I'm always going to go with the team with the better pitcher, and uh, I, I do love Clayton Kershaw. 
So I do have the Dodgers uh, in the National League Championship Series with the Cubs. And we're running into another area of disagreement because I have the Dodgers beating the Cubs and going to the World Series. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they're my third team in the National League. So that that is an area. But, you know, it's look, Clayton Kershaw's healthy. There's no reason not to pick them. I mean, you certainly could. He's that good. He could carry you through a seven-game series, no doubt, Madison Bumgarner style. But um, – uh, I'll go ahead and take the Cubs over the Nationals. There's a big part of me that thinks the Nationals are going to win the, the National League this year, but uh, I can't do it. I'm going to say the Cubs over the Nationals. I'm going to have some faith. <laughs> you just accused me of not having faith. Oh, my God. Ye um, <laughs> of little faith. <laughs> uh, it's just being objective. The, uh, the AL I have, the in. <laughs> the Indians back in the World Series beating the Red Sox. So my World Series is Dodgers and Indians. And those poor Clevelanders, I have the Dodgers winning the World Series. <laughs> Three to one. Um, <laughs> I've got, uh, I think the Bo Sox are going to break through this year. and We're going to get the, uh, the cursed Sox versus Cubs uh, World Series. Uh, if the Indians and the Red Sox meet, in the ALCS. I think that is going to be an epic matchup. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to see that, but I, I think the Red Sox are going to, to break through and I'm, I'm going to make another prediction in that David Ortiz is in their lineup when they do it. Ooh, I think you are wrong. Um, but that would be cool. <laughs> He's like just obnoxious, just obnoxious enough to have a huge retirement party all year long and then come back. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I could see it at least. Um, yeah, I, I, I would love a Cubs Red Sox World Series. I think, uh, I think that it would have been much more fun, or at least fun in in a theoretical sense, back in two thousand three for it to yeah. have happened then. Yeah. Um, because there would have been so much on the line. But, um, even still, they're two historic franchises in their separate leagues. Um, they have very similar history. Um, in relation to how they were tormented by, you know, Big Brother, the Yankees for the Red Sox and the Cardinals for the Cubs and and their bad history and their ugly trade that they made with each other, the Red Sox sending Ruth to the Yankees, the Cubs with Lou Brock, um, and then finally breaking through and, and beating that team and, and winning the World Series. There's so much there, there there's so much parallel. And on top of it, everybody hates the Red Sox now. And ten years from now, everyone's gonna hate the Cubs. So Yeah. Yeah. And I really like fans. this Red Sox team. I love Mookie Betts. I love Sandy Bogarts. Um I just think it's a really, really fun team. I ain't been in attendees at As I sit here and talk to you, I'm actually realizing I am wearing my Red Sox uh hooded sweatshirt. So maybe that's actually should... super awkward. Yeah, I should have picked the Boston Red Sox. I picked the Cleveland Indians. I, just, can you imagine a series, though, going back and forth between Wrigley and Fenway? I just, I just think that would be so surreal and amazing. Chills. That would be awesome, especially oh. for Theo Epstein. Uh, there, there's so much good narrative there when we had to deal with the bad narratives. All through the 2016 playoffs, there are so many good narratives comparing you know, the Cubs and the, and the Red Sox with their young core of hitters. I mean, it, there's just so much... So much better, better things to talk about. So I guess I haven't picked. Um, a, I didn't pick a winner yet. You almost let me off the hook. Yeah. Oh yeah, who are you picking? <laughs> uh, you know what? Last I year just I kind of assumed you were being a homer and no, picking the Cubs. So. No, you're talking to me about objectivity of a team that was plus eighty-seven last year. 
my objective analysis just took the plus 252 team. So you can have your objectivity, and I'll uh, I'll stick with the Cubs. But no, um, I'm going to pick the Red Sox to win it all. Uh, uh, it worked for me last year. I picked the Cubs to lose in the World Series, and uh, a gentle rain saved that from being correct. So I'm going to go with the uh, the Red Sox beating the Cubs in the World Series. Um, well, real quick, we'll just run down, uh, some picks. I've got my MVP, my Cy Young and my rookie of the year. Uh, I'll give you mine first so you can think about yours, but, uh, American league, I have Mike Trout kind of a slam dunk. Uh, and in the national league, I have a big bounce back year for Bryce Harper. So I have him as my MVP. Um, you actually, yeah, you hit it on the head for me. Mike Trout's the MVP every year in the American league, whether they give it to him or not. Um, and I also have Harper. I think Harper's going to have a really, really big year. Um, I don't think Joe Madden's going to break him again, even though that was really fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a really good psychological game of, you know, uh, a new school versus an old school manager. And Joe Madden just spun circles around Dusty Baker with Bryce Harper. Hey, hey, uh, let me ask you a question before we move on. If there's one guy in in the cut on the cubs not named chris bryan or anthony rizzo that could contend or win the national league mvp who would it be jason hayward no i'm not sure if you're serious or not you're baiting me uh because you want me to say addison russell no, you can say whatever you want you're the objective one here um if it's not if you're asking me a third player on the Cubs who could win an MVP this year. year. And Russell seems like pretty much the obvious choice. Uh, I'm not big on giving MVPs to pitchers, but I could see if there was no clear, obvious hitter in the national league, you could give it to a guy like John Lester. If he has a really big year, or I guess if, if Arietta repeats and does a 2015 season again, yeah, he could be an MVP. I think that I'll say this. I think Arietta re- repeating 2015 in 2017, which I am not predicting, but I think him doing that is more realistic than any other player on the roster actually performing well enough to get an MVP award. A friend of mine were talking about this very question today, and um, I tend not to think about Kyle Schwarber when these type of things comes up for whatever reason, because he's not a, a five-tool player or something like that. But um, he, he might be the answer because people are so gaga over his story. Um, yeah. but for me, the, the guy I can see exploding onto the scene and doing things that nobody expected and stealing the spotlight is Wilson Contreras. And he's obviously, I mean, he's probably 200 to one in Vegas or something like that, but, um, that's the one guy that would not shock me if he just had a huge year and, uh, shocked people and stole one. You heard it, you heard it straight from Isaac. Go put money on Wilson Contreras and Vegas. Wilson Contreras, 200 to one. No, I will not refund any stupid bets you make. <laughs> All right. I, uh, my Cy Young picks. I have Chris Sale uh, with the Boston Red Sox, which still sounds weird. And I have Kyle Hendricks with the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks. I like that quite a bit. I, um, he, I don't think he repeats exactly what he did last year but I think he comes out and has a pretty similar year this year. Maybe, maybe that 2.1 ERA jumps up to 2.4 or 2.5 or 2.6, but um, I think he has another very, very strong year and asserts himself as one of those, you know, real dominating pitchers in the national league with that different style of, of pinpoint location and, 
89 mile an hour fastball and, and the changeup. I, I think he takes his game to another level. I think he starts striking out more more hitters, which I think there's a misconception where people think that he's not a strikeout pitcher when he actually is above league, league average in that category. So uh, overall, I think Hendricks reasserts himself, and I think he gets a little bit more love in the Cy Young category this year. Yeah, I think that's really good. And uh, I, I think that people when and if Kyle Hendricks really maybe does it again, you know, has another great season at ERA and, and whatever else, and outperforms his peripheral numbers and everything else. I think people might start buying what he's selling a little bit more. You know, because you're not seeing the 97 on out fastball, so you're, you're doubting It's easy to doubt Kyle Hendricks, but uh, the guy's a master of pitching to his defense, and he's a master at pitching to, to the opposition's weakness. And that's a very predictable skill set. So I think he'll have an excellent season as well. And I think he's a perfectly fine pick. Um, my picks in the AL, um, I really struggle with AL pitching right now. I just, first of all, almost all of the best pitching is in the National League. And second of all, it's uh, it seems to be very unpredictable year over year. I mean, Justin Verlander was probably the best pitcher in the, in the American League last year, and he'd had a couple seasons before being just about terrible. So um, I'm going to go with Corey Kluber for the American League Cy Young. I think he is due to put together a full season of dominant performances. I love what I saw from him in the playoffs last year. So let's go with Corey Kluber. He's also pitching in a terrible division. Uh, so he has a huge leg up on anybody in the American League East that has to face a bunch of juggernaut lineups all the time. Um, in the National League, I think Kershaw, I think Clayton Kershaw is going to be a little bit more healthy this year. If you look at his numbers compared to everybody else in the National League last year, he's uh, a very large man among boys. <laughs> he was so much better than anybody. His KBB was 15.67 or 15.64. His ERA was well under two, 1.69. Uh, he is by far the best pitcher in the National League. He just needs to stay healthy. So I'll go with Corey Kluber and Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, you can't go wrong with either of those. Um, for Rookie of the Year, I have Aaron Judge in the American League because that guy is an absolute monster. And I think he's going to put up some pretty big numbers playing regularly on the Yankees. And then I have Ron Swanson's young son, Dansby Swanson, in the <laughs> National League. Uh, I didn't research this at all, so I'm actually not certain about who is eligible. Is Sanchez still eligible in the American League? I don't think so, no. I don't think he is either. Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good one. I will say uh, Alex Bregman in the American League, as long as Sanchez is not, which I think he, I think he exhausted his eligibility last year. Uh, Alex Bregman and the Astros in the National League. Hmm. That's tough. Let's see. Uh, there's Swanson. Uh, Tyler Glasnow is still technically a rookie. Yeah. Um, trying to think of who else is on there that's a realistic player. Josh Bell, yeah. I think is I think is still a rookie. I like Dansby's Dansby's all around skill set. Um, yeah. Man, they I just, just think... stole that guy. It just makes it still makes me mad that they just stole that guy. <laughs> oh, all the Diamondbacks. Uh, I think... <laughs> all those cuddly Diamondbacks. <laughs> 
I think the uh, I, I think Dansby is among the players that are of the best rookies. Uh, I mean, when you look at a guy like Glasnow, he's not breaking with the the team um, in the big leagues, and Swanson is going to get the full year in. Um, I just think he makes sense. I, I, I do. I think Who did you say isn't breaking with the team? Glasnow. Oh, Glasnow. I thought you said Bregman. I was like, what? Yeah, he is. No, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think Swanson's a good thing. All right. Uh, well, we went through all of our picks. We talked uh, a lot about the Cardinals. A couple minutes left, I think, maybe just a, a quick back and forth. We're going to do some over-under since Carlos isn't here. Uh, <laughs> we, we can do we can we can broaden our wings now that Cardinals isn't holding us back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Cubs over under. Uh, my first one to you is Kyle Schwarber home runs over under twenty nine point five. Oh, I thought you were going to put it higher than that. I think that's an over. Uh, I I don't think he's going to play every day, but I think he's still going to hit just a obscene amount of home runs. I'll take over. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted to take over as well. I do think Schwarber's only going to play about 140 games this year, um, which I think is is why I think that's a like if I were if I were in Vegas, I'd be setting a number around around 29.5 or maybe 30 31.5, uh, just because I do think Schwarber is going to get some time off here and there. Remember, this is a guy who has never played a full season in the outfield. He's coming off missing the entire year last year with an injury from playing the outfield. I think Madden's going to be careful with him. He has uh, four legitimate outfielders, not even including uh, Bryant and Zobrist, who can play outfield in the corners. And the fact that he's got Javier Baez, Javier Baez and uh, Matt Caesar and Tommy Listella on the bench, who will all need to get into the game at some point. So Schwarber is going to get some more rest than I think a lot of people think. And I will get, I will go just under 29.5. I think he hits 26, 27, 28 home runs. Okay, over under for Chris Bryant on runs scored, uh, 115. Ooh, I will go over. <laughs> what did he score, like 123 last year or uh, something like that? I think it was 121, um, which is yeah. a crazy amount. You know, I, I think that he has the possibility of scoring about 130 or more runs this year, which is just unbelievable amount but if he stays healthy he's going to do some crazy things in the two holes so i would also go with the over though that means he has to play you know 155 plus games maybe even 160 so uh but sky is the limit for what he could do there um jake arietta innings pitched over under 210 210 hmm. I think he pitched last year. I think it was 194. 10 seems like a lot. Um, I want to say in 2015, it was like 223. Yeah, it was 197 last year, 229 in 2015. I would take the under just because I don't think we're going to see too many deep, deep games from Arietta. He's just not throwing enough strikes to get deep into games. So I would take the under on 220. Or just say 210. Yeah. Um, and I said 210. Not oh, I'll still take the under. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, basically, the question comes down to, since that's kind of in the middle, uh, is he going to be closer to 2015 or 2016, Arietta, at least in the innings? Uh, I think he is going to be closer to 2016, Jake Arietta. And I agree that I think we're going to be seeing pretty much a six-inning pitcher for the most part this year. 
And so I'm going to go with the under as well. I think he finishes right around 200 innings. Okay. Kyle Hendricks. Um, you know, it's interesting because his FIP has been within 0.16 all three seasons. So let's go with ERA. Um, ERA over or under 2.68. I'll go. I'll take the under. <laughs> Wait, is that what you had to? No, no, I've got to disagree with you on something. So um, I'll go over on 2.68. I think he can stay around that three marker a little bit below, but I think it's asking too much to ask him to be that low again. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have to be consistent here, and I took him as my Cy Young pick. If he's over 2.68, <laughs> there is zero chance he wins a Cy Young. So uh, I think sure. he's going to have another dominant season. Um, this will be my last one for you over, uh, Eddie Butler over under eight games started. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to go under, I think if, if, when Brett Anderson goes down, I think Mike Montgomery is probably their, their next man up. I think Butler will be on this team. Uh, but I think it'll be in a, a middle relief role to start. So I think they bring him back in uh, as a middle reliever and then look at him as more of a future starter. So I'll say under. I think that the scenario for me is uh, they start the season with Montgomery in the pen. He does what he does in the pen, which has been be a phenomenal pitcher. Um, And Madden obviously trusts him down there. Um, And then when Brett Anderson goes down or if somebody else actually beats Anderson to the punch, um, I think Butler is going to have a resurgent year. He's going to be the guy who's probably going to be dominating at AAA. And I think that he'll be the first call up for a rotation spot that they won't, they won't call up a guy who's already fully stretched out and move him to a pen that, you know, where, where you don't know if you can trust him and then try and stretch out Montgomery. I, I think it makes more sense at that point to call up the guy who's already stretched out into a starting role and then leave Montgomery where Joe Madden knows that he trusts him in the bullpen. So it just causes less waves that way. Uh, So I do think that uh, Eddie Butler is going to start 10 to 12 games for the Cubs this year. Yeah. And I, I I think there's a a good chance that you're right. Um, I just wonder how, how much they're going to want to ease him along to really get him locked into whatever they're doing with him. But uh, that's a guy that I see in this rotation in the long term. I think his stuff is, too good not to be harnessed by Chris Basio into something useful. So even if he's a four or something like that, or a five long-term, I think he's a, a guy that can contribute for sure. So um, my last question for you is about my, uh, my friend, Addison Russell. Um, coming into tonight, he had six home runs and 35 at-bats this spring, which if you want to play some fun extrapolation games, is about 102 home runs over a 600 at-bat season. <laughs> um, over or under Addison Russell home runs, 24.5. Uh, that's pretty close to where I have him. Um, I, I think in my preseason kind of picking numbers in my head, I had him for 25 home runs. So I will say over by just a tiny bit. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's over as well. Um Man, I hate that we're agreeing so much, but I, I think maybe a better question on him would be, uh, you know, maybe on base percentage, is he uh, 335 over or under on base? Uh, 335, I'll go over. Okay, that'd be a pretty big jump up for him. He was 321 last year. 
So yeah, I think uh, uh, there's a lot to suggest that uh, he is progressively becoming more patient and learning the right pitches. And when I say patient, I don't just mean taking a lot more pitches, but more learning the right pitches to swing at, um, yeah, which is selectivity. Yeah, it's it's a hallmark of the younger player, and I think a lot of people just kind of throw him in with Bryant, who was you know 23 years old when he was called up, but uh, you know Russell was 21. So, um, you know, developmentally, he's two years behind guys like Bryant and Schwarber and, you know, other guys like that. So uh, I, I do think that uh, you're going to see continued learned patience. And, um, you know, really, if you want to look at it this way, um, he had like a 277 Babbitt last year. Yeah, it was really low. And it was like 300 something the year before. And his walk rate went up, his strikeout rate took a dive. Uh, I think his strikeout rate continues to fall. I think his walk rate will stabilize around nine, nine and a half, which is where it was last year. I think just, I think the BABIP just normalizing a little bit will will raise that 238, 240 batting average up to 260, 270. And then the, mm. the on-base will rise just even naturally. So mm. yeah, I think over 335 is pretty, pretty easy for me. Yeah, if that happens, we're starting to talk about an OPS around that 800 mark or maybe a little bit above. And, <laughs> you know, you're not getting too far from talking about a gold glove caliber shortstop with an 800 plus OPS. You're not getting too far from, a, uh, you know, whispers of an MVP type season. So <laughs> um, it's hard not to be giddy about this team. And, and I think the piece that I wrote today kind of expressed why people should be giddy. They should be giddy about what they're watching and about what could be transpiring over the next half decade or so. So um, I don't know about you, man, but uh, it's time for some baseball. I need it in my life and uh, couldn't be any more excited to crank this back up on a weekly basis and uh, just uh, enjoy the game. All right, so I do have two final questions for you. I'll, I'll ask you to answer them, and then I will answer them. Uh, okay. First question is, how many games do the Cubs win this season? And second question, what is your prediction for the opening three-game series with the Cardinals? <laughs> um, I think they take two out of three. I'll answer that one first. Um, I think that, you know, I think the first one's tough against Carlos Martinez in St. Louis. They're going to have a fun little St. Louis chip on their shoulder and that's cute and everything else. Um, but uh, I think games two and three is where the Cubs matchups pitching wise are just so much better. Um, so I'll say two out of three for the Cubs and on the season, uh, I'm going to go with a repeat of 2015 and say they're going to win 97 games. Okay. I actually have them in 96 games uh, for this season. And my prediction for uh, the opening three game series with the Cardinals is Cubs in four. (laughs) (laughs) Some things will never die. (laughs) All right. Well, it was good talking to you doing this extra long version of our uh, short uh, season preview show. Um, you know, stick with us. This is season two of BP Wrigley cast. Things might be a little bit different this year, uh, as we grow and change and, and, you know, make, uh, make more nuance to our podcast, I guess. Um, but, uh, feel free to keep reaching out to us, uh, at BP Wrigley cast on Twitter or BP Wrigley cast at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, I'm Ryan Davis or Ryan Q Davis on Twitter. And he is Isaac C Bennett. 
and we will uh we'll talk to you again uh next weekend probably uh at some point and we'll recap uh, the first week of regular season baseball night buddy good night it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.